Hi everyone, this is Mark and welcome to another episode of the Mark Hastings Experience. And in this episode I'm going to dive deep uh, into an episode of one of my favourite uh, television series. And um, that television series is Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine, if you're not familiar with it, uh, is of course a sequel to the original Star Trek television series. Um, as well as um, a sequel, but also made um, simultaneously at the same time as Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, I think uh, production started on Deep Space Nine in the fifth season of uh, Star Trek um, uh, The Next Generation. Uh, but Deep Space Nine um, is a little different. Uh, was a little different from Star Trek, um, the original series and Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, there were a lot of differences. Um, at, when it first premiered, um, I believe that um, there were many uh, polarising uh, opinions about the show. Um, some people felt that it was the concept was a bit jarring, apparently, because Deep Space Nine, instead of being set on a Federation starship um, commanded by Starfleet officers uh, with a captain, you know, uh, like the, the the previous two television series, uh, which had Captain James T. Kirk, um, which was uh, who was played by William Shatner, and uh, in the Next Generation you had uh, Captain Jean Luc Picard, uh, who was played by Patrick Stewart. Uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, was it was set on a, a space station, a Cardassian space station, um, in the pilot episode, uh, which was um, in orbit around a, an alien planet called Bajor, uh, which had been annexed by uh, the Cardassians, um, the Bajoran population of the, the planet Bajor had been um, invaded and the planet had been annexed by the Cardassian uh, Union uh, who are very uh, militaristic, very warlike um, uh, and um, the Federation within the Star Trek franchise the Federation had been at war with the Cardassians um, but at the, the point uh, when the next generation was set um, as well as Deep Space Nine, uh, there was now a peace treaty between the Cardassians and, and the Federation. Um, but at the beginning of Deep Space Nine, um, the Cardassians had left Bajor um, after, I think, what, 50 years having, uh, after having annexed the, the planet. Um, and they had left, and this left Bajor in a very um um a very uh um unsettled um and chaotic period because the uh Bajoran there was no Bajoran uh government um the Bajoran military was um non existent um basically the planet had been the planet Bajor had been um, 
uh, um, ransacked and had been used for its um, raw materials by the Cardassians. And in fact, Deep Space Nine was in fact a mining station that was mining um, ore from the the planet of Bajor and transferring that ore to Deep Space Nine where it would be processed. And um, during the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, Deep Space Nine was um, commanded... Well, it was when it was... Um, uh, when it was crewed by the Cardassian military, Deep Space Nine was previously called Terok Nor. That was the Cardassian name for the station. But when the Federation uh, came to the assistance of the Bajorans and offered them uh, their help um, and their aid, um, they uh, took over the control of the, the Cardassian station and renamed it Deep Space Nine. And... Um, and yeah, so that's where that's the the that's the premise of Deep Space Nine, the TV show in in a nutshell. Um, the the cast uh, featured uh, a more varied, uh, more grounded, and um, um, more um, layered uh, cast of, of characters uh, who were all interesting. Um, some were aliens, um, some um, were of colour, uh, some uh, um, who uh, were uh, female but who had lived several lifetimes previous. Um, uh, and uh, in that I'm talking about the character of uh, Lieutenant um, Dax, Jadzia Dax. Uh, who's played by uh, Terry Farrell um, initially um, and then um, uh, replaced by uh, uh, Nicole uh, Deboa uh, who went on to become the, the character Esri Dax um, because they had a, a symbiont within them um, but I'll probably explain more when I get to an episode that centres more on the characters um, that I'm talking about but the I want to talk about a specific episode from Deep Space Nine uh, today, and what I'm—I've been doing what I wish to do. Um, in a previous episode of the podcast, I um, centered on an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, which was called Yesterday's Enterprise, which was, which is one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. But the problem is Star Trek, all of the TV series that make up the Star Trek franchise are filled with a multitude of episodes that I would consider favourite episodes of mine and also favourite episodes of a lot of people, a lot of fans of the franchise and so I've decided um, because I could talk about Star Trek uh, till the cows come home as the saying goes um, because I've watched every episode of every series and the Star Trek franchise is one that I love and I have invested a great deal of time into and the, the characters uh, mean a lot to me because they all have um, the arcs, the character arcs that they, they have 
the um the experiences that they have they're all very profound um and the stories and the storytellers are all are all incredible um and you know some of the writers from star trek um whether it be the next generation or deep space nine or voyager or enterprise have gone on to create their own tv shows and have gone on to um have success because they are so um so gifted as writers producers directors actors um and uh one of the the one of the most um gifted uh writers producers and uh series creators is uh none other than uh Ronald D Moore and he was um the writer uh and one of produ- one of the producers on the next generation and on deep space 9 and the the um as i was saying my intent is to go through all of the series of star trek and talk about individual episodes which for some reason I and a, a lot of fans um, constantly go back to and have watched on repeat over and over again. And I have, a, you know, an encyclopedic memory of several of the moments in m- most of the episodes of um, Star Trek uh, over all of the, the, the five, six series that there have been. Uh, but there are some episodes that just stand out and their stories stand out and their characters stand out for a good reason. And those are the ones that I want to focus on uh, one at a time. Um, and I could fill this podcast every episode by just talking about a different episode every 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 day. Uh, but what I'm going to do is take it slow and go from one episode to the other, uh, attempting to cover all of the series uh, uh, picking out specific episodes from all of the Star Trek series um, that um, I'm a fan of um, more so than the others, even though I'm a fan of um, almost all of the episodes of Star Trek. But the episode that I want to talk about today of Star Trek Deep Space Nine is the episode Defiant. And for me, I remember watching this uh, when I was younger. Um, and this episode... Um, uh, it was from the uh, the third season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, and um, it was uh, the 54th episode uh, of the series. Uh, the third episode of the... Th- uh, sorry, the ninth episode of the third season. And for some people, they considered the third season to be the the season when Deep Space Nine finally found... Um, finally found itself. It the, the third season has episodes within it that really stand out from um, the rest of the series and also set the groundwork for what was to come. Um, and what I love about Deep Space Nine is that it is it began the um, the uh, the story trope of having arcs um even though it may some of them the episodes would appear to be serialized um uh 
or a standalone throughout the the season um it's noticeable upon um uh you know res re um retrospectively that the the writers put in little um teasers uh about who and what uh within the season they were building up to an example of this would be the dominion um which was introduced um i think that the the first time the dominion um uh, the word the dominion was ever spoken was in the um the first season i think at the end of the first season um and over the course of the series the dominion um would become this growing threat that would overshadow um, everything and it would change the landscape of the Star Trek um, galaxy, um, Star Trek franchise forever because the Dominion was this, um, was the antithesis of the Federation, you could say. The Federation was a collection of planets that were all bound for um, a beneficial um, reason. They all uh, wanted um, the, the betterment of each other and they had a, a star fleet that, of starships that um, sought to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go when no one has gone before to be um, the, um, the harbingers, the, the heralds of, of peace. Whereas the Dominion, uh, they are a an empire that hail from the gamma quadrant of the galaxy and they are they are um at the, the center of the dominion are the founders they are changelings uh shapeshifters and they the dominion is like an invading empire they are very um um aggressive militaristic and all they they want to do is um, is uh, overpower and be the overlords of everything and everybody, and um, that's why I think they're uh, they're worse than the Borg because the Borg in Star Trek franchise they are a a race of cybernetically um, uh, evolved. Um, uh, humanoids um, who have grown to become one and the same with the, te the technology that they have um, attached their bodies or they've inserted into their bodies and they are one species once they're connected to the Borg Collective whereas the Dominion they are um, all individuals but they are being ruled by um, a, a species who um, in the in the, the their ancient past were hunted and um, um, mistreated um, and when they were able to find a way to um, get some kind of power and create um, a, a race of um, genetically engineered uh, warriors um, name by who were called the the Jem'Hadar, and they were able to uh, genetically um, 
interfere with the evolution of uh, a race um, called the Vorta. Um, they were able to start this empire and begin this invasion of of not only the Gamma Quadrant of the galaxy, but um, all the quadrants of the galaxy. And they, um, when they're first encountered, um, it seems as if they are not going to stop and they cannot be reasoned with. Um, uh, but um, that's a story for several of the episodes of Deep Space Nine that I would like to talk about uh, a future in a future in future episodes. But in the episode that I want to talk about today, uh, Defiant, um, it's a really standout episode uh, for a number of reasons. It, wonderfully written by Ronald D. Moore, uh, who you may know um, as the creator of the um, of the TV series Battlestar Galactica, uh, the reimagined version of Battlestar Galactica that came out in 2003 uh, in the miniseries and then um, subsequently went on to um, uh, uh, have four seasons uh, after which uh, so Ronald E. Moore is a great, um, great writer, and all the episodes of Star Trek that he wrote were uh, really uh, wonderfully written, and they are they stand out as being considered some of the best Star Trek um, that there has uh, been made and been written. And this episode, uh, entitled "Defiant," is um, no different. And what's another concept? Um, of this uh, episode that we didn't really see in some of the other um, series was the the concept of having um, a character from another Star Trek series appear in an episode, and in in the case of this episode, the the character that um, um, uh, appeared uh, was the character of Commander William T. Riker, uh, who's played by Jonathan Frakes, or uh, that is who we um, believe uh, it has uh, made an appearance aboard Deep Space Nine. Um, and that's who he introduces himself as. Uh, however, as we come to, uh, come to find out, um, it... Uh, Commander Riker um, has not, in fact, um, um, come aboard um, uh, Deep Space Nine for a um, for some um, for a holiday uh, for some uh, downtime uh, from uh, the Enterprise, uh, which he is uh, the first officer of. Um, in fact, the well, I'll get to who who it is, but the the basic premise and how the the, the episode begins um, starts with Major Kira uh, Narice, um, who um, who is played by uh, Nana Visitor, and um, she uh, uh, plays, as I say, the character Kira Narice, who is the first officer of Deep Space Nine. And um, 
she's having um, a bad day, you could say. Um, she uh, has a uh, an overwhelming workload. Um, people, um, certain ships who wish to dock at the station are uh, asking for uh, specific um, requirements and there, are, there is a, a backlog of things that um, Kira needs to, Major Kira needs to, um, needs to uh, stay on top of. And it seems to be taking its toll on her, the, the pressure. And uh, she, she seems to be, you know, a little um, uh, exasperated by it all. Uh, and then uh, when she goes down to speak with uh, Dr. Bashir, um, who's played by Alexander Siddick, um, she, he makes a, a pretty ordinary request that... Um, one of the uh, the the, the uh, visitors who are going to be visiting the station have asked for a particular requirement. Um, um, and um, he... Um, well, Major Kira snaps at um, um, Julian Bashir, uh, Dr. Bashir, and... Um, he says, you know, in the in the infirmary, and he says, you know, st stop right there, Major. Um, you know, he obviously realizes straight away that she's stressed out over the workload that she has, um, and in his position as a chief medical officer aboard the station, he is within his rights to order her to take some time off um, uh, telling her that not even Commander Benjamin uh, Sisko who's the commander of Deep Space Nine um, can uh, over overrule his judgement uh, and of course she doesn't want this She she's not someone who takes surely, she's not someone who takes a break, she, she likes the pressure she was you know, a former uh, soldier, um, uh, a resistance fighter in the Bajoran underground, you know, so she's had, she's lived through hardships, she's never had an easy life, um, so she's resistant to Dr. Bashir telling her to take some time off, take it easy, um, but she goes along with him, um, when Dr. Bashir takes her to, uh, Quark's bar, uh, which is the uh, the main uh, watering hole, you could call it, of Deep Space Nine, uh, where um, many of the, the population, many of the crew of Deep Space Nine, uh, congregate to um, socialise and drink. And it is also the place where several uh, visitors to the station all uh, go to. It's their first port of call, you could say. And... Um, on the, the table in front of Major Kira, uh, Quark, who is the, the bar bartender of, of Quark's bar, uh, serves to uh, Kira a, a holosuite program, which is a, like a, a holographic um, environment uh, where, you, where you can create 
several different programs where you can interact with uh, several um, places and people. Uh, a jump stick, which is supposed to be some kind of like treat, kind of um, sweet. Um, uh, Carvino juice, which is a drink. Uh, some Lorven crackers um, and some gambling tokens. And uh, Dr. Bashir orders that at least three of these items that are on the table need to be used or consumed um, by the the end of the time that um, uh, Kira has um, been in the been in the bar. Uh, and at first, as I say, she's resistant, but she 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 takes the time. She has uh, uh, a brief sip of her Carvino juice before um, she is um, tapped on the shoulder, you could say, uh, and told that uh, it seems like she's got her evening uh, all planned out, uh, but that he hopes she has still has room for the unexpected and this uh, metaphorical tap on the shoulder this voice that she hears is that of none other than commander william t Riker, played by jonathan frakes um who um uh it's insinuated um that uh kira spent um the rest of the night uh, talking with and uh, interacting with, because the next morning when uh, when Kira uh, turns up for work in operations on Deep Space Nine, um, uh, she is talking to uh, Lieutenant Dax um, about having met with Commander Riker and Quarks last night, um, and Lieutenant Dax uh, tells her that. Uh, Oh yeah, I know him. You know, he. Uh, I met him a year ago at Quarks, and um, you know, he's a bit of a ladies' man. Um, and she questions Kira whether Kira is uh, interested in uh, Commander Riker, uh, who is a notorious ladies' man, you could say. Um, but uh, she says, "No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm already in a, a relationship. You know, I'm interested, but." There's obviously some kind of uh, attraction there. Um, and at this time, uh, Commander Riker uh, is in uh, Commander Sisko's office uh, talking to Commander Sisko, um, talking about why he's on vacation on the station, and um, saying that he's, he's just there stop off on his way to Riser, which is like a, a holiday, like a paradise kind of a planet where um, several uh, people, races from around the, the galaxy go to because of its resplendent scenery and um, the, uh, the the way you're, you know, you're treated there. It's very much a pleasure planet, as I was saying. Um, um, and then after their... They, they talk, um, Commander Riker leaves um, Commander Sisko's office and he immediately um, is confronted by Lieutenant Dax um, and um, 
she asks, "Oh, you don't want an, uh, another um, uh, another loan, do you?" From seemingly referring to perhaps the last time that he was on the station when he must have played um, in a game, a gambling game with Lieutenant Dax, who uh, is a very good um, um, player of several games. Uh, including uh, Domjot, which is a famous card game, um, and also uh, Dabo, uh, which is a, um, a gambling game in Quarks. And at first he looks at her and he doesn't seems to not recognise her, but then after a while he 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 blinks and he he, he, he starts to recognise her and he goes, "Oh, of course, Dax. Great to see you." Um, and then he makes a, a swift getaway. Um, um, then soon after, we see uh, Commander Riker is hanging around the promenade. Um, and he literally bumps into Major Kira, um, who is uh, just getting off duty and about to uh, head back to her quarters, to call it a night. Um, and... This is when Kira um, offers Commander Riker a uh, a tour of the station, which he gladly takes up. And he even adds that perhaps they may even get a chance to go and take a a, a, a walk around the the newest starship that is um, um, as assigned to the station, um, um, which is called, of course. The USS Defiant, uh, which um, is stationed at the station um, at all times, um, so that it could can aid uh, in the um, the defence of the station, and can also be used by the crew, by the Starfleet crew, um, to go on uh, away missions um, away from the station, um, and. Um, Kira says, oh, of course, that can be arranged. Um, and soon after, um, that is exactly where Kira and Commander Riker go to. They go to the Defiant. Um, they, Of course, they have to log in. There is a security uh, station there where they have, which is used to um, accurately identify their identity um, and Major Kira goes through the identification process okay, as does Commander Riker, and everything seems, you know, above board. Everybody seem, seems to be who they are supposed to be. Uh, they go aboard the Defiant, and um, they enter the bridge of the Defiant, uh, which is very much, uh, it's a very different starship than all the other starships in the Federation Starfleet. Uh mostly because the Defiant was designed to be a warship um, as a response to the Borg. When the Borg first invade, invaded the Federation, um, it was um, thought by the Federation, by Starfleet, that they needed to come up with a more, um, a more offensive um, vessel that was more warship-like, uh, which was very out of character for starships because most of the starships were um, scientific and explorate and exploratory um, firstly and then defensively um, 
secondly um, or lastly but in, in the case of the Defiant and all the Defiant class starships they were more um, they had the most advanced uh, and most destructive weaponry for example they were very more much more maneuverable than other starships smaller um, but yeah so when uh, Commander Riker and Major Kira go aboard the bridge of the of the Defiant they run into someone else who knows Commander Riker and that is uh, uh, Chief Miles O'Brien uh, who's played by Colin Meaney uh, who Commander Riker of course served with aboard the USS Enterprise uh, NCC-1701D when um, uh, Chief O'Brien was a Chief Petty Officer and also the, the Transporter um, Chief on the Enterprise so they served with each other for a great deal of time so of course Chief O'Brien's going to recognise Commander Riker who's his former first officer before uh, O'Brien left the Enterprise to come to Deep Space Nine but you can see and we see immediately that um, Commander Riker doesn't he recognises O'Brien but he doesn't want to have any interaction with him and he does this by basically um, dismissing uh, O'Brien saying that uh, I don't want to talk to you, you know why, and uh, Chief O'Brien's puzzled by this, because for all he knew, you know, they were on good terms the last time they spoke to each other, they were always friendly with one another, but um, Commander Riker's uh, his superior officer, so Chief, o uh, Chief O'Brien just um, says, oh, okay, I'll, and he packs away his... Um, his tools that he was using to repair or work on a console on the bridge and um, he packs away and says goodbye and then leaves the Defiant um, and Major Kira immediately asks Commander Riker what was that all that about and he says um, oh it's nothing too much to get into uh, I'll tell you about it later um, and then just quickly uh, moves on and says well let's talk about it. let's have a look around this ship of yours and but when commander when chief o'brien leaves the defiant he's puzzled by this because he can't understand why commander Riker would treat him so dismissively uh but this is all a subterfuge because um commander Riker, uh uh who we believe still believe at this time is commander Riker, he is not who we think he is and it isn't until uh, he wishes to see how um, some of the systems are integrated with one another, but he can't get access. Um, and then um, Major Kira uh, explains that he can't get access because it's a new security procedure, um, uh, which uh, would stop anyone who's not authorised from looking at the uh, specific systems um and then she reactivate she activates it by using her authorization um this is when commander Riker uh takes out his phaser and he uh says well he says thank you to major kira then takes out his phaser shoots and stuns major kira 
sending her falling to the to the ground to the ground um, and then he uh, sends a communication to um, some other people uh, who beam aboard the defiant and um, before we know it commander Riker is um, sending a message to operations um, there is a report um, of uh, there being a an explosion about to take place on the defiant and the, the he commander Riker explains that he needs to he needs to undock from the station otherwise the defiant's going to explode and it might take the station with it so um, uh, commander Cisco orders that the defiant be undocked from the ship uh, commander Riker pilots the the ship away seemingly to get it away from get it away at a safe distance so it doesn't blow up uh, but seconds after it is undocked the ship uh, jumps into warp speed and speeds away from the station leaving everybody in operations including commander Cisco and um, chief O'Brien who has found his way to operations and uh, lieutenant Dax uh, absolutely bemused by what has happened because they have no idea what has happened where the ship is or anything like that um, and then soon after uh, we jump into um, uh, a scene when um, Constable Odo uh, who's a the shapeshifter and also the security officer of Deep Space Nine uh, who's played by Rene Abajamois, uh, is giving a briefing to Gold Ducat, uh, who's played by Mark Alamo, uh, who as a uh, who was the previous uh, commander of Deep Space Nine when it was Terek Nor, but who is now uh, working for the Cardassian um, government uh, in a military um, um, uh, in a military role. Um, and also in attendance at this meeting is Commander Sisko. And at this meeting, they are explaining to Goldicott, um that the person who um, stole the Defiant was not Commander William Riker. It was, in fact, his, um, his transporter twin, um, you could say. Uh, um, uh, who goes by the name of Thomas Riker and I say a transporter twin because uh, Thomas Riker and Commander William Riker were at one point the same exact person but um, several years previous to uh, I think 10 years previous to this episode um, uh, Commander Riker was being beamed up uh, from a planet when his um, transporter pattern diverged and a version of him was transported to the ship that he was transporting to and a duplicate version of him was returned to the planet from which he was beaming from and this created two completely identical men who thought of themselves as uh, uh, William T. Riker 
and then um, uh, eight years after um, this duplicate version of Commander Riker was retrieved by the USS Enterprise as well as Commander Riker and the, the two of them um, had there was an episode with when they interacted with one another but then Thomas Riker um, William the duplicate William T Riker chose the name chose his middle name to become his most prominent name and he started to call himself Thomas and he went to serve aboard another starship um, but uh, as is explained by Odo and Commander Sisko uh, Thomas Riker eventually started to um, think um, or have uh, um, that at this time um, there as was a um, a group of um, colonists um, who were colonists of in um, on planets within the newly um, newly created demilitarized zone between the Cardassian Union and the United Federation planets and some of these um, colonists uh, didn't uh, like the fact that they uh, that they were now either living in Cardassian space or they were living in this demilitarized zone and they formed a a, a rebellion a rebellion uh, or a resistance uh, called the Marquis um, who uh, were um, saw, seen as um, as traitors by the Federation and terrorists by the Cardassians because they um, stole cargo and um, they um, engaged in attacks against the, the Cardassians and and Thomas Riker it is revealed had uh, begun to um, show signs that he um, he was um, very supportive of the Marquis and their goals of taking back the colonies that had been to them had been stolen taken away from them um, by the Cardassians had been given away by the Federation uh, so he'd become sympathetic Thomas Riker becomes sympathetic to the Marquis and uh, is revealed that um, the stealing of the Defiant is essentially Thomas Riker stating and showing that he is now a member of the Marquis and that potentially he may want to start a war with Cardassia using this very advanced Federation starship, this warship which he could with which he could cause um the destruction of um a great deal of Cardassian um infrastructure and starships and people. He could uh, launch a devastating attack by upon Cardassia and um this is the fear, and this is what is explained to Goldacott. And Goldacott says, basically explains that if this happens, if this is the truth, then the Cardassian government will not just stand by and let this happen. 
they will send a fleet of warships into the militarized zone and stop the marquee for good you know they won't just um they won't just be uh, tentative they will go to war and this will of course drag in the federation who may wish to defend their former colonists and this could start a whole new conflict and which is something of course the Kardashians at this point and the Federation do not want um, so as a, a sign of cooperation uh, Commander Sisko says to Gordicott that he will go back to Cardassia Prime uh, the the, uh, the homeworld of the Cardassians and assist the Cardassians in um, in tracking um, Thomas Riker uh, aboard the Defiant and also assist them in stopping them from committing any further attacks that they may have that they may have planned um, so uh, Commander Sisko goes with um, Gold Cart back to back to Kardashian Prime they um, conduct a search for the Defiant in a Cardassian war room uh, at the heart of the Cardassian military and because Commander Sisko was uh, in charge of the um, the starship uh, construction yard in, in, uh, um, aboard uh, in orbit of Mars um, uh, when uh, at a period um, in between when he served aboard his previous starship the USS Saratoga and before he took command of Deep Space Nine um, he knows the Defiant systems backwards and forwards so he's the most equipped to be able to identify the ship and because he's also uh, a good strategist in his own right he may be able to um, predict where the Defiant and where Thomas Riker may may go next and he informs the Cardassians that the ship uh, as well as being heavily equipped with very advanced weapons also has a loaned Romulan cloaking device which uh, can um, make the ship invisible to se uh, sensors and, and scanners and make it um, harder to, to track um, but they continue the search um, and aboard the Defiant uh, Major Kira uh, who eventually awakens from being stunned um, is told by Thomas Riker who he really is what his intentions are uh, and but while she is imprisoned in one of the crew quarters she uh, sets off an explosion um, in a, a plasma conduit that uh, would potentially allow for the ship to be tracked by um, those who are tracking it including the Cardassians which um, is effective because uh, creating this plasma conduit explosion uh, creates a, a trace that Commander Riker and the Cardassians can use to track the Defiant but this doesn't this explosion, this act of sabotage by Major Kira doesn't slow down Thomas Riker and the Marquis crew aboard the Defiant uh, from um, carrying out their mission which Thomas Riker explains is towards 
a um, a specific star system in Cardassian space called uh, Omecla Three, um, where um, there is a, a shipyard uh, uh, of the Cardassians, and um, and then they they attempt to uh, do what they do attack uh, the Omecla Three shipyard. Um, and but then, uh, uh, Tom's Rike informs or he tells Major Kira that what they are really, their real the the plan is in fact to go to the Arias system, uh, because the Marquis have been given intelligence that they that the Cardassians are potentially creating and building a secret invasion fleet. That they believe may be used to invade the demilitarized zone to destroy all of the Marquis colony colonies and the ships and the people who living there, and potentially even start a war with the Federation once again. Who knows? But they're creating an armada, a very powerful armada, and this is all um, you know. Um, they don't know this to be true. This is. Um, second hand um, but the, the the potential threat is something that Thomas Riker can't um, can't uh, leave alone he, he knows that if there is this potential out there that the people who he um, uh, who he has um, now um, joined and who he is now aligned with, the, the Marquis, he can't allow them to be destroyed. So that's why he um, he stole the Defiant, and that's why he's leading this campaign into um, Cardassian space to uh, destroy this um, this armada uh, before it even launches. Um, and this is. Uh, when it is revealed that the uh, that the Defiant is on its way to the Arias system, uh, one of the um, one of the observers of the um, of the the mission to track the Defiant, um, who is called uh, Coronus, uh, who is um, a member of the Obsidian Order, uh, who. Uh, who are effectively the Cardassian secret police, who um, is, they uh, have been described as knowing what everybody in Cardassian, uh, on Cardassia has for breakfast, what time they wake up. You know, they are the, the 1984 version of, um, in Star Trek. They, they know everything about everybody and they, they keep um, very detailed records about everything and everyone and uh coronus uh tells um commander cisco and goldie cart that um essentially that the defiant will never reach the arias system because they will be destroyed uh before they even get there and goldie cart is a little uh, bemused by this because 
uh, he has no knowledge of any military ships or any kind of military installations in the Orion system, which is supposed to have one inhabited, inhabitable planet. Uh, but um, Coronus, who's played by uh, the great actor uh, Trisha O'Neill, tells Gordicott that um, the, that information is classified. Uh, he does not need to know that. But all he does need to know is that the Defiant will never reach the Arise system. It will be destroyed long before that. Um, and of course, the Defiant at this point is being pursued by uh, the Cardassian military under the command of Gordicott, who he is in full command of. Uh, but as I say, he has no knowledge of anything or anybody in the Arise system. But Coronus seems to know something. And the Obsidian Order are notorious for not telling the Cardassian military uh, what they're doing and why they're doing it. But they are explicitly forbidden from having any kind of military technology. Um, but they have... Uh, they, they seemingly, there is something seemingly going on in the Arise system, but Gordicott can't get any answers. So, this is what leads Commander uh, Sisko to come up with an idea uh, uh, that he puts to Gordicott, which is that if Gordicott allows the Defiant to be returned to the Federation as well as, and as, well as turn over the Maquis crew, he could. Um, get Thomas Riker to transfer the sensor data from the Defiant sensors, which um, they have used to scan the Orion system, um, and they they would know exactly what's going on in the Orion system more so than the Cardassian military. And if he could get Thomas Riker to transfer that sensor data, then um, and that he he would be able to convince him to give himself up. Uh, but uh, Gordicott says, "Look, fine, we can agree to that. But there has someone has to pay a price for this invasion into Cardassian territory, and the person who has to be the scapegoat is Thomas Riker. He's the one who's led this mission, this invasion. And Commander Riker, Commander Cisco, says that he could probably get Thomas Riker to agree to it." If Gordicott arranges for there not to be a death sentence for Thomas Riker, because most of the, um, the in in Cardassian uh, the Cardassian legal system, the um, the fate of those uh, who are on trial is already known even before the trial begins, and it is most of the time death. It's always a final. Um, the final verdict is, has already been um, uh, come to before uh, the um, the person on trial even reaches it, as I said. Um, and Gordicott says, well, uh, I'm going to have to clear this with um, the... Uh, I'm going to have to clear this before uh, I can, I can cl clearly say one way or the other. But uh, he gets a... Um, an agreement that if Thomas Riker was to surrender, um, that he would be taken into custody 
and he would be sent instead of being put to death he would be sent to a a labor camp for the rest of his life um but he would still be alive um and uh commander Riker and Gordicott um send a message to the defiant ask them to um to stop their stop their mission to turn around and come back to uh, Cardassian uh, to turn towards the Cardassian ships that are pursuing them rather than go towards the ships that are uh, approaching them from the Rye system um, because and if he does this Thomas Riker surrenders and he transfers the sensor data that they have uh, they have of the Rye system that his crew will be spared um, his life will be spared even though he will have to spend the rest of his life uh, in a labour camp um, which Thomas Riker knows must have been no small feat to be arranged by Gould Cut because as I say the, the Cardassian legal system um, doesn't mess around uh, with their criminals um, and even though Thomas Riker is... Uh, he he, you know he wants to wanted to carry out this mission. You know, as was um, explained when uh, Major Kira analysed um, Thomas Riker's intentions and his actions. You know that he won he basically did this in a way. He did went on this mission to basically um, differentiate himself between Commander White, Commander Riker, so that he could be his own person. He could be you know a hero. Um, and it is really Major Kira who talks Thomas Riker down from doing um, what he wanted to do and uh, to surrender. So um, Thomas Riker surrenders. Um, the Defiant turns around. Um, it eventually finds himself finds itself in the protection of one of the ships that was pursuing it, um, and then Goldicott. Um, um, orders well he sees that uh, the, the two Cardassian ships um, in front of those that were pursuing the Defiant are standing off against them and he says that there won't be uh, there can't be any kind of attack um, they can't, that, that doesn't happen Cardassians don't attack the Cardassians um, and then after after a small amount of time, the the Thomas Riker is beamed aboard uh, one of the Cardassian ships, um, and he's sent off to a, a colony, spend the rest of his life um, in confinement. Um, uh, not long uh, before, um, not long after, he. Um, bids a farewell to Major Kira and um, she takes command of the Defiant and then returns the Defiant and the Marquis crew now crewing it uh, back to Deep Space Nine so that they could be they can be brought to justice for taking um, taking the the Defiant um, and that's the end of the episode and um, yeah what a, a fantastic gripping and um 
thought-provoking episode and an episode that is well loved by fans uh, of all the Star Trek series. And what I love about this episode um, is that it, like, as I said, as I was referring to earlier in the episode, um, about how uh, serialised the, the series was and how it introduced these um, these threads um, of story threads like the Dominion uh, that it would tease um, them becoming um, a major part of the of the series, but just introducing them very slowly, very steadily. You know, a name here, um, uh, an episode there, a character here, a character there, um, and in this episode. Defiant, um, with the this uh, the ships um, that were found in the Orion system, uh, which Goldcott um, had no knowledge of at all. He uh, he was convinced that if this was these ships belonged to the Obsidian Order, then there must be something going on that he doesn't know about, and. This, what we we don't find out who these these ships belong to, why Gordicott had no knowledge of them, um, but not not initially, but several episodes down the road, uh, this thread would be picked up again, and we would come, and this the story of what happened would be concluded in a two part episode. Uh, which, in fact, is one of my favourite two-part episodes of the entire um, of the entire Star Trek franchise, and um, and that's what I love uh, is that what Deep Space Nine did first before any of the other Star Trek series that have come after is that it introduced these these arcs and it's. You know, sometimes, as I say, it would mention something in an episode and then you'd forget about that. And then several episodes down the road throughout the season, they'd pick up this storyline again and they'd say, well, you remember what happened at the end of this episode? Well, it was all a prelude to what's going to happen in this episode. And and that's what it did so well. I mean, it the the, the it it. It was, oh, so great. And it was great to see um, Jonathan Frakes return uh, playing um, Thomas Riker. Um, but there was so much, so much in this episode. So many, uh, you know, um, little Easter eggs, um, little connections. And as I say, the way that it's it set up, you know this fleet of Keldon class ships that have been secretly constructed by the Obsidian Order in the Arise system, uh, and as I say later on in the third season in the episode Improbable Cause, it would be revealed that the reason for their construction was because this was a joint operation by the Obsidian Order and the Romulan Tau Shiar, which is the uh, the opposite number you could say of the obsidian order within the the romulan star empire the the romulan tau shiar was basically the secret police uh of 
the Romulan Star Empire. And this um, fleet of ships was intended to launch an assault on the Founders homeworld in the Gamma Quadrant. And the Founders are um, the those the the founders of the Dominion um, Dominion Empire um, who originated in the Gamma Quadrant uh, and the founders were the race from which uh, Constable Odo uh, hailed from he was uh, a cha he's a changeling as are the founders changelings and um, yeah so that was all so basically uh, this episode Defiant is a prelude to that episode, those two episodes, Improbable Cause, um, and um, the episode uh, that comes after Improbable Cause, um, um, which was called, um, which was called, oh, I can't remember now, but um, it's a two-part episode, Improbable Cause, and oh, the die is cast. That's right. And this, this, that two episode it deals with, um, as I say, it deals with that the fallout, what happens after this episode, uh, Defiant. It also deals with the character, one of my favourite characters in Star Trek, um, the uh, Garrick. Um, and um, yeah. It's yeah, just a great episode, and I, I really want to talk about that two-part episode at some point because there is so much, as I say, depth and detail to these characters. They're so well-rounded. They're so intriguing, um, as are you know a great deal of the the characters from Star Trek. But I think Deep Space Nine, that the strength of Deep Space Nine was that it didn't pull any punches. It took uh, risks, storytelling risks, it took um, leaps, and it just did its own thing. It didn't rely on the tropes that had been um, cemented uh, before it. It did its own thing, it went its own way, and for its for the its own benefit, I would say, because Deep Space Nine is considered by many Star Trek fans as their favourite series because it was so different because it it was it in some in some parts darker uh it um and i suppose because the the series the premise of the series um tells a story of characters living on the fringes of society on the fringes of federation space uh uh, uh where you know there is no clear cut division between um you know right and wrong where sometimes you have to make harsh decisions decisions that will affect countless lives and especially when they brought in the dominion war arc um which was an arc that began in the um the, the third season you could say and it uh, it went uh, in arc all the way to the end of the series um but yeah and this is all set up these little um little teases these little um little easter eggs early on in in the the series that really set up where the series was going 
um, and who the major antagonists of the series would be. Um, and yeah, I just think it's a fantastic episode I'm, and um, just great, great writing by Ronald D. Moore. Um, um, and also the acting, fantastic as well. Um, and also the the wonderful direction by um, Cliff Bowl, uh, who's a uh, directed several episodes of um, of Star Trek, um, and yeah, just a wonderful wonderful episode. I've watched it countless times over the years, whether it be on television or on VHS tape or on DVD or on Netflix, um, and. Yeah, I've I've seen them over and over again, um, and it's one, as I say, one of the standout episodes of Star Trek. Um, and um, yeah, really, really wonderful crossover moment as well. As I say, uh, when those crossover moments, when you saw a character from another, or an actor who was in a prominent actor from one of the other Star Trek series appeared in one of the other Star Trek series. That was a you know always a, a highlight uh, in every episode um, because it really um, really bound them all together. Uh, they are the, definitely the highlight episodes uh, for me. But um, yeah, so um, I think I'm going to leave it there for now, um, and I'm going to continue my journey down. Uh, Star Trek Lane, you could say, uh, by uh, reviewing, talking about other episodes of Star Trek from all of the Star Trek series in future episodes. Uh, but um, as for Defiant, I'm going to um, finish by saying uh, I hope you like what you heard. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. If you like what you heard in uh, this episode of uh, the Mark Hastings Experience, um, and if you want to check out some more of my poetry, um, then you uh, you can head over to markthepoet.me, uh, which is my website, and you'll find uh, lots of the poems that I've written over the years. Um, if you want to uh, check out some of my poetry uh, in uh, a book form, uh, and go to Amazon and you'll find um, all 10 of my books that I've had published. Um, they're all books of poetry, um, uh, books of stories, uh, books of uh, memories and uh, experiences. Um, and there'll be more to come. And uh, if you would love to um, contribute uh, to... Uh, to the podcast then you can do so by heading over to patreon and searching for mark the poet and uh your uh, your support would be greatly appreciated um but uh as i was saying i hope you liked what you heard in this uh episode um and i'll talk to you again soon